You're listening to the Teen Wolf Rewolf. Coming to you live from the Teen Wolf Rewolf Studios, we have an actual Teen Wolf. Kind of. Well, I mean, I guess in dog age, he's a teenager. Yes, we are. We are dog sitting. We are dog sitting. <laughs> a very very small dog. Yes, his name is Hubbard, affectionately referred to as Hubby. Yeah. Uh, and he's terrified of hardwood floors. Yeah, so he's going to be, if you hear scuttling throughout this episode, it's because he's trying to scamper from one <laughs> part of our apartment to another, uh, because the all of the floor is lava to him. <laughs> and um, it terrifies him. It does. Although, we haven't done like a wolf of the week lately, so I, no. we'll post pictures of Hubby on, on, on the socials, because he, he's very cute. He's very cute. I think my... Uh, like the first glance at my camera roll, you know, when you open it up, I think, I think it's all just pictures of hubby. Oh yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's very cute. Yes. He's been on my Instagram story. <laughs> People keeping like, did you get a dog? And I'm like, no, he's, we're just friends. <laughs> it's just casual. Yeah. But he's been fun to have and, and mm-hmm. it's fun. We just fair warning that there could be, you know, scuttling noises or barking. Yeah. We could edit it out, but I actually think it really serves the purposes of our (laughs) podcast if some of that makes it in. Adds to the ambiance, if you will. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know what else adds to the ambiance? What? The joy we feel knowing that we have had some lovely people buy us a coffee. Yes. What a delightful moment in our week. Yeah. Just anytime you get, you know, the notification, it just makes our hearts sing. And people are like, I know this isn't a lot. Trust us. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. Anything is a lot. And we are so, so extremely, extremely grateful to our wonderful listeners. You guys are part of what makes this so fun, especially, you know, conversations we have with you guys and, and, and things that kind of inspire how we talk about Teen Wolf and scuttling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if that showed up on the sound, but it was pretty funny. <laughs> um, it, it, yeah, it just, you know, it, it inspires us and uh, we hope we inspire you. Aw. Yeah. Yeah. Or something less dumb. I don't know. I don't know. No, it's it's sweet. It's not dumb. I don't know how to say thank you. There's, it's okay to have emotions. It's okay to feel things. Thanks, mom. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. Oh, and my name is Christian. And I'm Julia. And you are listening to the Teen Wolf Free Wolf podcast. A podcast where we... Sometimes talk about Teen Wolf. Sometimes. Mostly. Yeah. Anyway. We're feeling a lot of things in this episode of Teen Wolf, yeah? So, so many. Jam-packed. This was an episode where everything happened so much. And I know, we're at season uh, four, episode eight. So we are gearing up for like the denouement of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of means that like it's not like they're cramming in everything at the end. It's just sort of like we have to start tying up loose ends. Um, yeah. And this was a, an exciting episode, an emotional episode for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was saying to you, um, kind of when we finished the episode that I remember going through the show for the first time, the end of season four is where things kind of started to get a little weird, um, for me, because I think that there's just, everything happens so much in the last four episodes in particular are just wackadoodle. Yeah. Like <laughs> I, um, here's the thing. I am not overly forgiving of this season. But I do think that uh, it's not as bad as you are going to remember. No, definitely not. I'm, I'm having a good time so far, for sure. 
I also sometimes think that things are more enjoyable on a rewatch just because you don't have to sit there and be frustrated that you don't know what's happening. You can just be like, oh, I know this is dumb and like move forward. Yeah, there's no um, puzzle for us to figure out, although we can't remember certain things. So there's a little bit of mystery. I will say uh, I don't know the plot of season five. Uh, that's not because I didn't pay attention. I just repress it. <laughs> um, yeah, all but I can watch just watch season five and be like, oh, that wasn't bad at all. You know, like we could totally get to that point and be like, oh, we, what were we talking about? It's just so long. Like four is 12 episodes. Yes. And um, five is not. It's so much. It is so much. Yes. Um, our first siren. Oh, very faint. There's going to be like a lot of noise this episode. Sirens, dogs. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, the... The perils of city life. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. So this episode is called Time of Death. Yes. Um, it was written by Jeff Davis and Angela Harvey, and it was directed by uh, Jan Turner. Jan Turner? I think it's Jan. Um, I didn't look it up, but um, they've directed on Jane the Virgin and Scandal and Chicago Fire, and just like a lot. They're working. Yeah. So, yeah. Chiefy. They may be around the city. <laughs> Chiefy. Yeah. Chicago Fire. Yeah. Um, I don't have a fun name for Chicago Med or Chicago PD, but Chiefy is fun to say. Uh, Chimi. Chicago Med. Chimi? Chimi. Chimi. <laughs> yeah. And then I guess you could be like, she PD. Um, Jan Turner is a woman. She is a South African film director. And so we've got lots of uh, lady power. Cool. Going on here. Girl episode. Yeah. There, well, I was also thinking like, wow, all the girls are in this episode. She found a way yeah. to, like, we found a way to get every woman in this episode. We had Melissa, we had Natalie, we had Lydia, we had Malia, we had Kira, we had Nishiko. Shout out to Angela. And, and Brayden. And Brayden. Oh. And, oh, wow. Wow, we Shout had to- all the girls in this episode. Shout out to Angela and Jan. They yeah. made it happen. Oh, truly. Yeah. And I actually was like, hmm, dynamic better because the girls are here. Because the girls balance it all out. Yes. Otherwise it's just man pain. Yeah, a lot of man pain. <laughs> Which is compelling, um, but I need the ladies around for my own because it's not because it's not that compelling. Well, let's hope this uh, conversation is going to be compelling. But before we dig too far into it, we have to do our sixty-second recap. And you, Julia, are going first. Yeah, I ran out of room while I was writing notes. A lot so happens. We'll see. See how that goes. We don't have to anticipate greatness every time or any time at all. If you're me, so <laughs> uh, we'll see. All right, a mm-hmm. minute on the clock, and go. Okay, so Styles is having a flashback of him and Malia trying to sleep in bed together, but she's gone because they are fighting. Um, Raphael is doing the paperwork that involves uh, him killing the assassin. He's just, like, really upset about it, and he chats with Scott because he thinks that Scott is not telling him something, and, of course, obviously he's right. Kira, Styles, Liam, and Scott are planning a trap for the benefactor, which involves Scott faking his own death, um, going to the hospital. Brayden is at Derek's, um, and he's sleeping on the couch, and he's still bleeding. Um, Nishiko is the one who helps Scott to fake his death by teaching Kira how to, I guess, slow his heart with her lightning powers. Um, and then they show Melissa that Scott's going to die after 45 minutes, but he is still alive currently. Um, Chris is helping Styles to threaten the benefactor basically because he's like, oh, well, you, you need visual confirmation. Brayden is teaching Derek how to be a human. Um, Scott is having his like nearly dead nightmare where he's being forced to kill the assassins. Malia is in the hail vault and she finds her adoption records and starts talking to Peter about it. Melissa and Ushiko are looking for the benefactor in the car. Um, Liam and Kira go to investigate on the roof because the camera cuts out and then there's a berserker up there. Lydia's at the lake house with her mom. And her mom knows Ooh, that would be the end. Wow, I was so I saw it ticking down on your phone, and I was like, 
I'm not going to make it. But I felt very calm despite all of no, that. No, very calm. And I actually, like, you were really, like, clipping along and things were in order and you weren't stressed. Uh, hubby is trying to make his way from one patch of not hardwood to another and was, like, breathing really heavily through it. And I was like, he's so stressed for you. We've had to put um, towels down at strategic places in the house so that he can, um, you know, walk around on his own little islands of carpet. <laughs> he's so silly I mean like it's super funny because when my friend Beth who owns hubby dropped him off she their whole apartment I guess is carpeted and I was like uh I texted her I was like he doesn't like the hardwood and she goes oh yeah no he doesn't have (laughs) um so so exposure therapy time yes I feel like we are this is going to be like toughening his spirit a little bit you know like he's going to go out into the world a new braver dog yeah as my mother likes to say suck it up buttercup um, are you ready for your turn um, at the recap? That's an interesting question <laughs> that I will never answer in the affirmative. <laughs> yes. Okay. But we have to do it. So. All right. All right. Let's you, go. Okay. Um, in three, two, one, recap. So we see a flashback of uh, Styles and Malia cuddling, and then Raphael explains to Scott what, what it's like to kill somebody after he has done all his paperwork, and then he's like, we need to talk because your friends are cr- scary. And then um, they come up with a plan to try to catch the benefactor by, like, that involves killing Scott, and then uh, Brayden realizes, like, Derek isn't healing, and he's she, he is losing his power, and she's like, what the F? And then um, uh, they fake kill Scott at the hospital, and Nishiko tells uh, Melissa that, like, they have 45 minutes, and he's not actually going to die, and then Styles and Chris are texting the benefactor, and Styles thinks that Chris isn't doing it right, and then Brayden um, basically takes Derek to human school, uh, just as he has taken people to werewolf school before her. And then Scott starts having all of his like dead person dreams. It's like a weird sort of loop. Uh, Malia goes to the vault to find her adoption papers, and Peter is there, and they start talking. And then um, the security cameras cut out, so uh, uh, Liam and uh, Kira go to the roof, and they got to fight the uh, berserkers. And then they fight, realize Kate is there, and they're like, "You have to call out the berserkers. We're trying to catch the benefactor." But Kate is like, "No, I we need to find out who it is, and that's why I need the body." But they explain to her, and she leaves. And then. Uh, uh, it, um, that is time up. Yeah. Okay. So Lydia's at the lake house with her mom. Um, and her mom was like, Lydia, you're going crazy. What the F is happening? And starts telling her about her grandmother, who she doesn't really know that much about, I guess, because Lydia's dad had a weird relationship with her and her dad's obviously not in the picture, except for that one episode at the school. That, that of, one time. That one time. Um, and Lydia starts basically to realize that her grandmother was a banshee. Um, and her urn is full of mountain ash, which is like, dun, 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 dun. Um, Malia and Peter talk and Peter is like, uh, we're not going to be like family or whatever, but I will help you find your mom who is the desert wolf, which of course benefits him more than it does. Um, Malia. Yeah. Cause he, he wants to know all of the things. Mm-hmm. Knowledge is power. Um, um, Scott kind of figures out that the benefactor might be a banshee, which I think at this point where it's kind of pointing to Meredith a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, and Nishiko has been stabbed and has to be like ha- helicopter medic to Palo Alto. Yes. Yeah. Um, so a lot, a lot happening. Lots of people feeling in their sads. Yeah, which is why our topic of the day, our discussion theme, is going to be grief. Mm. Um, so this is maybe not um, a, an episode where we traditionally be talking about grief because nobody dies, um, but it is kind of hanging on uh, over everyone's head about like the anticipation of feeling it, about you know the, the, what it feels like to take life. Um, 
Malia is clearly still grieving. Derek is grieving over the loss of his powers. Mm-hmm. You know, he, a part of him has died in a way. Yeah. Um, and and it, it just kind of feels like there's a, a, a serious weight to everything, especially given um, what they're doing in this plan. Mm-hmm. I, for one, love a death fake. Yeah. Oh. And especially not like one where like he comes back at the funeral and he's standing in the back <laughs> with like an umbrella. No. One where somebody's like, you know, his heart's been slowed to one beat a minute. Like that is the best. Love it. It is so good. So excellent. Um also this is not the first time not the first time it's the first time we're faking a death, but it is not the first time that like we've been um simulating death on Teen Wolf. Um so just like yet another traumatic almost death for scott mccall oh yeah he dies so many times what is this supernatural (laughs) um but he always comes back he does what is this supernatural yeah what is this supernatural (laughs) they do borrow from each other Mm -hmm. i mean as you know same with you throw buffy into that conversation and the vampire diaries whatever teen drama was happening in the 2000s literally everything is derivative yeah. And that's fine. There are no original ideas. Sorry, no. folks. Um, <laughs> We're not the only Teen Wolf podcast. Did you know that? There's no original ideas. <laughs> Light and love to the other Teen Wolf podcast. Mad respect. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you want to start in our conversation about grief? Um, let's uh, touch on... I was going to say Raphael, but we can... <laughs> <laughs> Bye, hubby. I'm wondering if the scraping is picking up on the mics, but they, it has to be a little bit because he's making noise. Yeah, I can hear it for sure through the headphones, I think. But um, I am I feel like the adults are playing a role in this episode, but they're not um, super, super involved. I kind of want to talk about Raphael. I kind of want to talk about Chris a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about the adults. Um, essentially, what we have is... The sheriff wasn't in this episode. No, where was he? Ooh. It's it's weird to have an episode with like Raphael and Natalie, but not the sheriff, because yeah. he's part of the like adult triumvirate. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, I mean, like, I think that um Raphael sort of introduces like the theme of this episode and like Scott's main anxiety. Um and I think it's really a really smart thing to sort of show like the proceedings that he has to go through after killing somebody and Mm -hmm. has to report that you know his weapon has been fired and that it did result in the death and like all of the stuff he has to go to professionally because he works for the fbi because i think that that one very much solidifies the idea that like which teen wolf never thinks about this um but the idea that once somebody is dead that doesn't stop being um a thing that exists you know whereas like teen wolf usually sort of is like bury them except for not really no funerals in teen wolf Mm -hmm. but you know killing somebody continues to have an effect as you move on and um it makes scott sort of have a really uh take a really hard look at his dad you know how do you do that how do you manage to take a life like that and he's admitted to killing two other people Mm -hmm. um in his line of work which i mean who knows if he was killing bad guys? It's the FBI. It's the, but, yeah. um, and you sort of, he, he says, you know, you find ways to cope. And clearly I didn't cope all that well because I, you know, turned me into a huge alcoholic. Like it can ruin your life to take another life. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I find it really interesting because I'm almost wondering if Scott's dreams would have been um, near a similar if he what, didn't have that conversation with Raphael. Yeah, I I do kind of wonder about that. And what I find super interesting about that particular 
exchange um one like you were saying the fact that like a lot of deaths on teen wolf don't have any kind of weight and i think this is a um kind of an opposite way of looking at that like it is the personal but it's also like that's Raphael's job that's his whole life mm-hmm. um and also you know we've heard scott say previously that he feels that he doesn't share anything with Raphael. he's a gene donor mm-hmm. he got his eyes and his hair and that's it Um, but I think in kind of confronting that his dad has killed people and confronting the idea, um, of Scott being an alpha and then that puts him into really, uh, tough situations where you have to make life or death choices. I think he's seeing some similarities between himself and his dad, which might be really uncomfortable, but Scott also sees that as kind of a learning opportunity, um, or an opportunity to just ask questions. Well, I also think what is so interesting about this is that we have now posed his mom as like a life bringer and saver and his dad as a life taker. Mm-hmm. And when you exist in both of those spa- spaces, like Scott does acknowledge that he saves people, but also acknowledges that he has the power to kill. Yeah. And I think that that is a really interesting dialectic at play. Oh, absolutely. Um, Scott is like the... Kirk, I don't believe in no-win scenarios, but sometimes... How many times can we say that quote on this podcast? (laughs) Sometimes there are no-win scenarios. Yeah, and I mean, this sort of sets up a conversation that we're going to have to have in season five when uh, Scott thinks that Styles has killed somebody, Mm -hmm. which is really interesting to me because it doesn't strike me... I I don't really get the idea that Scott um, looks at his dad... In, in like a dissent, like a dissenting way when he's talking about, you know, having to kill people for his job. I don't think that he thinks he's a monster. No, I don't think that he, you know, thinks that he's evil. Um, he can, can understand that there is a task at hand when it comes to like the people that Raphael's killed. He also knows that he killed the chemist because that was the only way to save styles. It's really interesting to me that Scott could not process a world in which that like killing somebody could be the only option, mm-hmm. which I don't want to believe that killing people is the, is only, the only option, option. um but uh it 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 sits with him in such a dark way mm-hmm. well and you know in the in the past scott has really um struggled with control over um his werewolf powers and even we've seen in the season that he um isn't a hundred percent sure like what being an alpha um is all about and he's like really struggling with that. And so, you know, to see his dad take a life, that's a choice Mm -hmm. in Scott's mind. Perhaps if he did take a life, it would be because of something that really wasn't within his control. And of course he would feel responsible for it, but, um, he's worried, he's worried that he is becoming monstrous. Yeah. And I think that there's an element of him being like a part of me, would be gone if I did that. And he mentions that he's grown extra fangs mm-hmm. um, and how they weren't there before. And he sort of sees himself as a predator. And I think there's sort of a death of innocence sort of motif going on with that, that he has more power to kill and he obviously never chooses to kill anybody. Yeah. He just chooses to die and come back to life. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus. Um, but that's kind of um, replicated throughout, throughout the episode because at the, kind of tail end when Styles is having his conversation with Malia, he's like, killing doesn't run in families. But she's like, well, maybe it runs in mine. Yeah. And maybe, you know, it runs in Scott's and maybe it runs in the Argents. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's like a big question that everybody's kind of asking themselves. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And I mean, you know, we can say that, um, 
you know, we know that not all the Hales were evil, but we know that the one that she is directly descended from is a monster. It's just a psychopath. Yeah, and even Derek is a little bit flip about, you know, how we treat life. Mm-hmm. So it's it's an interesting it's an interesting discussion. Um to our other adults. We are this episode puts Melissa in one of the most complicated positions you can kind of put a character in. Yeah. Um they they do not tell her that she could actually lose her son if he's not revived within this time frame. And a little bit feels like he might not be for mm-hmm. a while. Um, so not only does she have to sort of go through the like acting process of grieving and like having her breakdown in the hospital, which is of course fueled by what she would actually feel if Scott were actually dying. And she even says that he looks dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, you know, she, she basically spends this entire episode on like the teetering edge of extreme grief because there is nothing that compares to losing a child. Um, and it's, and Scott is her only child. Yes. Um, you know, and we see some of that in, with, with Chris, um, you know, and Allison in the Mm -hmm. previous season. And I couldn't imagine being in that position. And of course, Melissa is somebody who is so sort of anti-panic trauma nurse type of lady and she's panicking you know Mm -hmm. i think that sense of grief is so overwhelming and like it's just sort of bubbling below the surface the whole episode um and this is like a conversation that she's kind of having with nishiko and i um I'm, i'm just sort of fascinated by the idea of like a the experience of of grief before anything bad has happened mm-hmm and anxiety, really. Yeah. And you see so so much of what she's doing in this episode is trying to um, kind of keep that feeling at bay. And, I mean, ultimately, like, you know, they're encountering berserkers in the hallway. There's, like, more difficult things to think about. But, um, you know, the I think all of us probably at some point, um, or maybe, I don't know, maybe it was just me, but like had just kind of a moment where you sit and you think about the grief that you are potentially going to experience and certainly will experience because people die, yeah. (laughs) um, in your life and how like completely incapacitating that is. Um, and like you can't, and you can't dwell on it because, um, life is too short and you just have to keep going. And that is Melissa's whole ish. And she just can't seem to get over it. Yeah. And I mean like that, it's one thing to sort of be like, Oh, I will be around for my parents to die because Mm -hmm. that's sort of the natural order. Mm -hmm. Uh, Losing a child isn't really something that you could ever prepare yourself for because it's, it's so it, it just, you know, it it, shouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen. Mm -hmm. Um, and to sort of ask her to prepare to do that and ask her only after he's, you know, submit to this, what could be a life ending like process yeah is um in- incredibly cruel yeah and they unfortunately have to tell her like i don't think she knew about like the ice bath death thing she probably didn't um unless scott like told her after the fact which would I also feel like be he, kind of cool well no he'd tell her he um, him and his mom are tight they are um but like it, it, they ha- she has to know. And also she is the only like person that she works with professionally who knows that. So she kind of has this relationship sort of with Liam's stepdad. Um, and like, she doesn't have anyone to lean on, uh, like in a public facing way, mm-hmm. which is traumatizing. Um, 
Yeah, interesting on the sort of flip side of like losing a child. The other person who's sort of experiencing grief in a similar way is like preemptively is Liam. He is the <laughs> most worried of anybody else about Scott going under. Um, and you can tell he's like, it's kind of played as a joke, but he's like, I don't, I don't like this plan. I don't like this plan. Cause I wouldn't either because Liam is about to sort of lose his sense of like control in, in the sort of supernatural world without Scott. Like that's his rock. His anchor, if you will. Boo. Boo. God, Teen Wolf is dumb. <laughs> I mean, we're here and we love it, but ugh. So much. Uh, um, and you can kind of see that it, he he is really, really, really freaked out. Um, and when you sort of think about him in comparison to what Melissa's feeling, you realize that, like, asking Scott to do this is actually insane and i know it would be the only way to get the benefactor to come if he ever did if she meredith ever did it you would have to kill the person number one on the list but where was there a conversation that was like why can't we pretend kill malia instead (laughs) you know like sort of knock out like lower ranks in the pecking order yeah and What's interesting, again, about asking Scott is that he is the backbone of the whole group, children and parents alike. Um, and I, I feel like, again, well, we're comparing to Buffy, there's you know several moments um, in Buffy where Buffy leaves and all of the other characters kind of have to pick up the pieces without her, which is just incredibly difficult because none of them are the Slayer and none of them know what's going on. And there's this like insane resentment and the friend group doesn't work like it should. And so the idea that Scott could suddenly be removed from this equation entirely, the show would fall apart or at least the characters would fall apart and then they'd fix it because Scott would come back to life. But that is a huge, huge risk. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It, it would be, you know, that would be a, a moment of audience grief. <laughs> Catastrophic. Catastrophic. Um, kind of moving over a little bit. I, uh, I want to talk about Malia. Mm. Malia is obviously a, a big part of her character is grief. You know, she was so grief stricken by the loss of her family, which we learn at the end that she thinks that she had more of a hand in than she did. Um, that she literally isolates for years and years and years in the woods. Like she cannot process it to the point that it takes, you know, all of this to get her to change back from a coyote. And all she wants is to go back to being a coyote for her first little bit out of the woods. And it's because she's finally being confronted with having to deal with her grief on like a human level. And finding out that that might not even have been her real family, which adoptive families are real families. Mm -hmm. But, um, and then she's, she's killed innocent people is really fascinating to me in the way that it connects with her relationship to Peter. What do you think about that? Well, it's a very, very huge scientific question of like nature versus nurture, um, which is something like just gigantic to be grappling with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's so it's so interesting to kind of go down this road because Malia only knows about what Peter did secondhand. Um, and I think the rest of 
the gang. I will say the secondhand interpretation of what Peter did is probably the correct interpretation of what Peter did because oh, yeah. yeah. But she did like she didn't have to live through that like terror and trauma and um all of but like all of the other characters have kind of had their time to make peace with what Peter did. Um at least to the point where they can like work with him and function with him. Um, and no one like trusts him, but they've all kind of like moved through that. There's been processing. Malia, they is, need him. <laughs> like they unfortunately need him. Yeah. Um, and like Styles, you know, as we mentioned in like a couple of episodes ago, he was like, "Why do we trust Peter?" And he was like, "Well, we don't, but we, you know, we gotta use him. He's right there." But Malia is has learned this very, very recently, and so she's not had time to think about why Peter is the way he is. Um, and it's all just so fresh in her mind. Mm-hmm. And again, Malia is like an eight year old girl. Yeah. Well, it's funny because Peter tells us in this episode why he is the way he is. Mm-hmm. Um, which is also sort of a symptom of grief because not only was he in that coma by himself for six years, fully aware and like unable to move his body, which like, I don't, I don't know what that says about like, <laughs> whatever disability. Um, but he says that he went crazy just being left alone with his own thoughts. And you have to think a lot of that was knowing or thinking that his entire family was dead. Oh yeah. Well, it's like, you know, um, solitary confinement is, you know, defined by most of the world, but not the United States as cruel and unusual punishment. Well, all punishment (laughs) in the United States criminal justice system is cruel and unusual, but continue. But it is like exceptionally cruel and unusual to put people in solitary because they, um, you know, can't touch grass and they like can't talk to people and so you think that um you know peter is going through that very same like a very similar experience of just like being completely walled in he can't talk to anyone and even if they're talking to him oh my god can you imagine like someone coming in to read to you and you're like i fucking hate this leave me the fuck alone you're like i hate james (laughs) joyce why are you reading this to me someone comes in to read peter the bible and he's like i would like to die yeah (laughs) please um he's like i will call on the book of revelations right now like the show Teen Wolf has done an excellent job of showing us that Peter was like a little office rocker and a manipulative little bitch before the fire um particularly as young Peter who doesn't look anything like old Peter Um, you are so pissed about that casting that kid hasn't shown up in an episode in like a year podcast time and you really get mad well I think it's because little Derek shows up frequently and yeah. then you have the juxtaposition. My cousin Miguel. <laughs> My cousin Miguel. Um, um, but, you know... <sighs> it's always great when you get, like, really good older, younger casting, mm-hmm. though. Yeah. Because My Cousin Miguel, perfect. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so... That's what keeps McKenna Grace in a job, <laughs> is just being the younger version of every blonde woman in Hollywood. That's true. She's Shout also very talented. <laughs> to McKenna Grace. Yeah, she'll have an Oscar by 16. Um, and it, Peter... Um, is like trying to kind of um, express to Malia that he's not a killer by nature necessarily um, because he was just kind of doing what he had to do and he was doing that out of um, the very real six years of trauma that he was experiencing. Um, But Malia is, I think, kind of quick to dismiss that and be like, yeah, but you are a psycho. Which is a really interesting conversation to be had in comparison to what Scott is feeling, Mm -hmm. you know, on the other side, where... 
you know, we have Malia just being like, you're crazy and Scott, like you're crazy and evil and Scott being like, what if one day everyone thinks I'm crazy and evil? What if I feel like I'm crazy and evil? Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't know if Scott, I don't think Scott's worried that he's going to turn into Peter because <laughs> you would have to be a special brand <laughs> to turn into Peter. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying? There's um, a foundation that needs to to be there to become Peter. Yeah. And in terms of Malia, I almost feel like this sort of conversation she's having with Peter is a way to sort of like stifle her grief a little bit in the way that there could be something more out there that she didn't destroy. Mm -hmm. Even if it is Peter. (laughs) Well, I think the concept that killing runs in families or that you can't help, but be who you are, um, is really interesting because in a way it can kind of absolve you of the things that you do. And clearly Malia is not seeking that. She clearly feels a tremendous amount of grief. Um, And she's like making a huge amount of progress. Sort of. Kind of. um, In her like human emotions and human connection and and things like that. Um, But if she kind of comes to the realization that like she's just no good, does she have to keep doing that? Does she have to continue? Yeah, you, you're, she's kind of looking for like a no good, dirty, rotten pig stealing great great grandfather <laughs> to blame yes. things on. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's I mean that's a really good, really interesting question. And I think when 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 it comes to grief and when we have the death of people who are evil, like the chemist, and being what kicks off this this um, episode, it does kind of raise a question of you know how we think about death in a moral sense, and you know if you are somebody who you define if you start defining yourself as evil does killing people make you more evil i don't know mm-hmm. um in terms of malia styles is going through a sort of different like relationship grief uh Sad. The, the way this episode kicks off you have to assume that that's something like styles is replaying in his head mm-hmm. because he has spent only a week without Malia like sleeping by his side. And it's clearly driving him nuts that he like is all of a sudden so lonely again. Like, I think he is, you know, angry with himself. He's grieving with what he thinks is now, I think a lost relationship, which it obviously isn't because she shows up at the end. Also it never was. Um, and he doesn't know what to do. And part of that is because this is an extreme circumstance, but the other part of it is that Styles is, has never been in a relationship before. No. It's which brand is new. why he's so quick to be like, this sucks. This is the end. I'm so sad. I'm so sad. And it was like his fault. It was his fault. So, yeah. So, um, I don't know. It feels to me like Styles is not quite as in the, the pit of despair as he could be. Um, he's just kind of sad, but I think he has like real faith that things are going to be okay. Yeah. And once again, I feel like it's because we're coming back to the concept of like the pack. Um, Malia will come back to the pack because she has to, and then things will be okay. Yeah. Um, which is me projecting. None of that actually happens. Um, like he doesn't express what is this really podcast if not, not just projecting. projecting on Teen Wolf? It's true. Um, so like Styles is dealing with um, personal heartbreak, which if you uh, experienced heartbreak as a teenager, you know that you felt like you were gonna die. Yeah, it, that's the most severe it feels because your like frontal cor- <laughs> cortex is not developed yet, and you're like, is this death? I might be Maybe. dying. Everything feels like I might be dying when you're yeah. a teenager. It's all it, like it. The teenage years are like majority be like, um, 
I guess I'll die. I, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> I guess I'll die. A B minus on a test. I guess I'll die. Yeah. Yeah. You forget your lunch money. Well, what do I do? Die? Yeah. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Um, drop something in a puddle. Oh, just just in front of a bus. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like that I is how it feels. Um, well, and also, you know, it's, it's funny because earlier in the episode, Raphael is like, Hey, we got to have a talk about your friends because, um, you were doing really weird shit that doesn't phase any of you. Mm-hmm. And so I think we're kind of all conditioned to see these characters as, um, mini adults who kind of can like work. What is teen television? <laughs> if not mini adults, mini adults. <laughs> well, because you know, they're all played by 20 somethings. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't help. Um, so we're all used to them just being able to like, uh, you know, take a deep breath and like move forward. Um, and so these moments where we find people kind of struggling or like having a real human emotion, a real 16 year old, 17 year old emotion. It's like, that's relatable. I like that. Yes, I agree. Um, I want to jump into a conversation. Well, I, I feel like we don't have to do a lot of discussing about this, but, um, Lydia, uh, experiences a really sort of interesting kind of grief in this episode for somebody who she didn't know that well. Um, her grandmother, her grandmother, Mer- her oh, grandmother. I was going to say Meredith too. Meredith too. And it's sort of, um, even like Natalie is also kind of feeling that because you, you, you kind of get the sense that like her mom didn't get to lot, uh, spend a lot of time with her mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can kind of show that like grief can just be, something that makes you saddened by the lack, by the loss of a relationship you couldn't have or didn't have. Um, or the things that you didn't get to experience with that person. Yeah. Um, and part of it is about like Lydia being like banshee lonely. Like she's like, I could use one mother, one, <laughs> one more, one other. Yeah. Well, and, and also just, I, I think that's an excellent example of the fact that like you carry grief with you, um, always. And it doesn't, it it evolves and it changes. Um, but you are kind of, it can always show up in your life in ways that you're not expecting it to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it's sort of one of those interesting things about like how you keep learning about people even after they've gone mm-hmm. and we're not learning like fun, sweet, quirky things. We're learning like dark magic things. Um, yeah. but it's, it's kind of an interesting thing about like how life persists, for sure. I guess. Um, especially for banshees who hear the dead. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Life just keeps persisting for them in the worst way. Um, I f- finally, I, we touched on this, um, but I do want to do like one, you know, final comments on the dreams that Scott is actually mm. having. Um, just a blanket statement. I love Teen Wolf dream sequences. They're so good. Also the Teen Wolf morgue cabinet tunnel to locker dream sequence that happens like twice a season never gets old it's so good well and and also just from a directing perspective like the flashbacks are very clearly marked and then the dreams are very clearly very very good delineation between what was, was flashback and what was dream yes yeah um super good i um you know we've been talking about the the concept of like am i a killer because of my nature and retaliation because um the names that show up on scott's deadpool are the um assassins i find it really interesting that um every time it's the mute and it's not um like each of them i don't know if that means or says anything um but each time 
basically the implication is that his unwillingness to kill the assassin is what ends up getting Liam, his beta, his son, killed. killed. Well, it's also interesting because the Deadpool is, when those names come up, he's like, I don't want to kill them, but those are people who have all already died, um, you know, basically for his cause. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, well, it's, 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 it strikes me as, you know, interesting how Scott weighs human life. You know, he would never kill those people. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we do not support capital punishment on table. We do not. Um, but what does it mean if he can't protect his own? You know, what, what is that grief? It's a comparison of, of the grief you would feel, you know, a loss of yourself or a loss of, you know, your, the other. Yeah. Um, well, and, you know, does becoming an alpha mean that you have to become a killer? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what the conversation about teeth is about. And I think that he already sort of feels guilty for putting Liam in any danger he has already put Liam in for biting him. And I think that that's why Liam, I think in, you know, a season previous, the person styles. styles. Yep. Totally. Um, I think that's why Liam is the focus of of the dream sequence and the person he ultimately ends up killing in the dreams, Um, Mm -hmm. which is terrifying, you know? Yeah. It's sort of um, Medea-esque. A like driven to insanity to the point of, you know, killing um, your child mm-hmm. and then having to reckon with that grief. Um, yeah, I just, I really think that that, the, that was a really interesting part that pulled the episode together. Oh yeah. You know what we forgot to talk about? Hmm. Derek. Derek. Derek's going through some stuff, man. He's grieving the loss of his power, you know, which we've seen in the last couple of episodes as well. Um, because he, who is Derek if he is not a hail werewolf? Yeah, some guy, some dude. I mean, he's hot. We'll give him that. <laughs> but he doesn't have great, he doesn't have great personality. <laughs> he really doesn't. He really, really doesn't. But Braden seems to like him, um, so that's a plus. But uh, yeah, just I thought that was um, a nice. It's not like a moment of levity because it's not particularly funny, but it is, um, you know, them having like a nice interpersonal moment where she's teaching him about her life. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Bad bitch. Um, and like using kind of using like human skills or like guns or whatever to kind of overcome your grief about having lost to your supernatural. Yeah. Powers. This is a very much there's life after loss type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to throw that in the end. It wasn't a major part of the episode other than us basically finding out that Derek is a human for the time being until he becomes a wolf wolf. A wolf wolf. Yeah. A moon moon. <laughs> moon moon. <laughs> moon moon. Um, but yeah, shall we move into cues and O's? Let's do it. I have no cues. I have like a, a cue that is about the episode, but it's like a personal question. For me personally? Yeah. Okay. Um, would your parents yeah. ever have let you sleep in the same bed as your significant other when you were in high school? No. Um, well, mm, I don't know. I really wasn't <laughs> dating in high school. I was horribly unpopular and also ugly. <laughs> so this is not a question for me, but I feel like... I feel like my older sister was like such a wild child that my mom was a little bit like, I can't control you. <laughs> so if I had been that, it would have been like an, I can't control you type of situation. Um, but also I don't think the sheriff knows. 
Yeah, I find it so, so interesting because... Or um, he's like, Styles' life is so hard, I will not be interrupting <laughs> this. Just have one teenage thing about you. Yeah, um, because like my mother certainly would have been like, absolutely not. My dad would have been like, nah, okay. Um, it just reminded me of uh, when my mom and my dad went to visit my grandparents for the first time. My grandma was like, you have to sleep in separate rooms because they're very Catholic. And then when they went to bed, she comes up to my mom and she's like, you know, sleepwalking happens. That is so funny. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I just thought that, I think it's cute that they sleep in the same bed, but I was also like, um, they're teenagers in high school. So I don't know. I guess it just depends, um, to each their own. Yeah. But that was, that was the first question that I had (laughs) and the only question that I had. Yeah. Um, what are your observations? Okay. Um, well, one was about the, the morgue, morgue tunnel to locker transition. Same. Oh, this, you know what? This was a missed opportunity to do. Hmm. A 24 style episode I... where it happens in real time Okay. because you only have, because they say he's got 45 minutes. How long is an episode of Teen Wolf? Mm-hmm. Right. I think that that would have been and one, an excellent break of form and two really, really compelling because it'd be like <laughs> so racing against the clock. But because we include all the flashbacks and stuff, you don't really get to do that. Mm-hmm. But I think if we were seeing the minutes like actively count down, oh, how stressful. How stressful would it have been? Very, very stressful. I will say that they kind of accomplished that with all the watch checking. Kind That's one of. of my like least favorite things um, in watching a movie where it's like um, people have to like dive underwater and swim. And I'm like, you would die. Yeah. Like you would die. Yeah. Um, it's one of those kind of things. Um, uh, my other observation, I love that Brayden is an expert mm-hmm. in her field. She is so smart and she can tell her, like, tell Derek about all of these things. Like, I love when you just have a chance for, like, a woman to prove her expertise. And it's also, like, again, murdering people is a career in Teen Wolf. In life, it's a career. Um, but it's just kind of cool to see her be like, yeah, you have to learn this if you... And it's a little bit sort of a, like, loose, bad, like, feminist um analogy where she's like if you're a human going up against the supernatural it's a little bit like if you're a woman going up against (laughs) the big boys which like yeah okay i just love that she's really smart and strong and can definitely kick Derek's ass you know he needs that what i particularly liked about that exchange um and this is teen wolf i feel like manages to avoid this but i feel like every time there's like a strong female character like how'd you get this way and she's like i have three brothers thank god she didn't say anything like that no women can be strong on their own yeah um, you don't need to have also t- toughness comes from having sisters. <laughs> it's true. If you endure the years of psychological torture of having sisters, you yeah. end up pretty bad. Very, very strong. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, sure. Observations. Um, we don't talk a lot about the fashion on Teen Wolf because mostly it is. Uh, I feel like we used to talk about it more. Yeah. Um, Lydia's mom's dress is hideous. It yeah. is so fucking ugly, and it was really distracting. <gasps> I do actually kind of what you know what I really like about the fashion of Teen Wolf is about it doesn't really matter how men dress because men all dress poorly, mm-hmm. but the girls have such distinct um, fashion. Yes, like Kira is so 2014, like edgy Tumblr sort of emo-y, like but also a little kawaii, and then you have uh malia who dresses like very rockabilly yes <laughs> like a lot of denim and a flannel but she's always wearing daisy dukes which i love and then malia who's like i'm put together unlike you people and not malia lydia who's mm-hmm. like put together i love how different the girl fashion is really it's so indicative of their personality yeah and i think that their hair um i was really admiring malia's hair in this episode i just thought it it's was, hard to make shelly hannah look bad it framed her face really beautifully but i think that for the most part the women have really good hair um on when Lydia has the halo braid 
Teen Wolf. Oh, she looks so she good. Looks so good. So good. Um, there, uh, when Lydia is like, these are not grandma's ashes. First of all, I'm about to be like, whose ashes are they? <laughs> Which is so funny if she was like, these are Oreo crumbs. Um, It's just a jar full of dirt. Just a jar full of dirt. It's just, you know, anything that you would not expect to be in an urn. Um, And then she's like, it's mountain ash. Listen. Yeah. How is the whole house mountain ash and how did Scott and Liam and everybody else get in there then? I think the implication is that the boathouse is mountain ash. But Scott has already been there too. So Um, has... Kira. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, humdi dum, how did Liam escape? Oh my <laughs> god, this show is so bad. And just I'm... inconsistency out the wazoo. But what's nuts is that we have been praising the consistency lately. We've been like, oh, there's been such emotional consistency. They're really exploring the depths of like Allison dying and the consequences of Liam being turned into a werewolf. And no. And then they just, in doing that, they just forget to ever, ever, like, consult the show Bible. Yeah. Or they just have, like, I assume there's just, like, every writer has a different version. That's what it sounds like. It's really, really what it sounds like. Um, we also just, like, don't, we don't even have consistent rules about how the mountain after affects people. But anyway, the point is that was all of my observations. Cool. Um, pack stats. Pack stats. Actually, not a whole lot of them. It didn't um, feel like a pack steady episode. No, we've got again a weird. Ep- I will say there's been a lot less naked this season. Yeah, um, boring. I was thinking about. Oh wait, that. actually, Derek was naked in this one. Oh, then that's too. Anyway, um, so there, we had two eyes, um, Liam and and Scott, um, two claws. Liam did his little ching thing when he was uh, fighting the berserkers, which was great. He's I've he's officially that. been you know inducted yeah. into the pack. Yes, um, we had two shirts because Scott is like just not wearing clothes while he's in the morgue and um derek uh is also naked because he got shot he done got shot yeah he got shot um no ads that i noticed and one siren at the beginning of the episode lots of hubby scratches <laughs> yes scuttles <laughs> scuttles little scuttlebutt um yeah um, g- that sounds about right like mm-hmm. this episode would have been weird for any gratuitous anything yes there melissa has like a little quip where uh no she goes like well i guess the power never goes out in this hospital she's like well only when we're battling supernatural creatures and like yeah it's like oh yep you same mean shit. all the time <laughs> Different yeah day. but this didn't feel very supernatural to me like it, it felt very rooted in reality um, Except for the berserkers. Yeah. Well, I mean, like the reality of Team Wolf. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, do you have an alpha of the week? My alpha of the week is Kira. Yeah. She killed she, Scott and brought him back. She has. Yeah. She has <laughs> resurrection powers. That's insane. Yeah. Which Kira. I go Kira. Um, and a little bit Melissa for having to put up with all this. Yes. Um, her 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 wailing, yeah. wailing womanness in the hall. Very women. Impressive. Women. Yeah. I just think that women. I just think that women. Yeah. yeah. Um, great. I love love to hear that. Um, if you guys liked this episode of the Teen Wolf Rewolf, we hope that you follow us on Twitter at Teen Wolf underscore Rewolf, which is also our Instagram handle. Uh, if you really liked this episode, we hope you leave us a review on iTunes. And if you really, really liked it, you guys can buy us a coffee. Just coffee, ko-fi.com forward slash Teen Wolf Rewolf. Um, we're going to start putting bonus stuff up on there. We're going to actually start writing a newsletter and start reviewing some of the other media we're consuming in our lives, uh, which I hope you guys are excited about. And that will be available to everybody. You do not have to pay to get the newsletter which probably going to go on the Facebook page as well. If you mm-hmm. want to be in the Facebook group. Um, 
but yeah, we're excited. We want to start, you know, especially because now we're in the back half of, of Teen Wolf. We want to start talking about like the other things that we're interested in and give other recommendations. Um, cause I know that a lot of people who like Teen Wolf are into the stuff that we like. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, I think that's it. I think so. Well then we hope you guys have a wolf of a week. Uh, woo.